0: Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church Podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. We have a very unique service tonight. Um, More unique than usual. And... After going through essentially the entire book of First Samuel last week at church, I, I watched you a, a good portion of the way through it, um, tonight's going to be very different. And if this is your first time at reunion, I promise you I'm a Bible thumper. I will drive the tech team crazy with the amount of Bible slides I had, but w- tonight I want to do something a little bit different. I'm not going to teach so much tonight. We have a couple of important things we're going to do that will take the majority of the night. But... I told you last week that the next few weeks we're going to be talking about vision. We're going to be talking about where the Lord's taking us as a house, where He's taken us as a family. He's given us direction, and He also wants to remind us of what He says about this house and what He says about our destiny. The first thing I'm going to do is I going to review just for a minute, and people said, "Oh, you weren't a lot of camouflage, and I, I am. Um, the Lord said, "We're all camouflage." and wear your, your snake stomping boots, because he said, tonight I need you to not be seen, just be heard, and we're gonna actually trample some things tonight. And I, I hope you come along with me. But I wanna review just for a minute, and you'll understand why I wanna review these very shortly. Uh, we've talked a lot in the past about the difference between a pastoral church government and an apostolic church government. Um, it's a very different model of leadership. It's a very different way of going about things, and part of, or, or I guess one of the main obvious differences between a pastoral form of church government and an apostolic form, is the outlook that these two models have. So, in apostolic church government, is is going to be about moving and overcoming. If you've ever been through Kingdom Living, we talked a ton about like what that word apostolic means. Um, this apostolic function. It's all about gaining. It's all about expanding. It's all about conquering. It's about changing the old territory to look like the new, right? Because in the kingdom, it's the opposite of the kingdom of this world. The kingdom, Jesus says, the old must change and become like the new. And because of this, uh, this apostolic model, it actually confronts wineskin issues in regions. And I think he's confronting a wineskin in our region. I'll talk more about that tonight and next week. But the purpose of this form of church government is, is to build his kingdom and to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's it. That's the bottom line. It's about him. It's about his kingdom, about his agenda. A pastoral form of government is not about moving and overcoming. The focus is about protecting. The focus is not about gaining or winning, it's about trying not to lose things. It's about protecting the old territory, not expanding the old territory. And we know that to protect an old wineskin, you have to protect an old wineskin because old wineskins can't expand any further. That's why Jesus said, don't put any wine in the old wineskin, because if you do, the wine is gonna make it expand. And what happens when it tries to expand? It bursts, an old wineskin can't expand anymore. So that's why the focus of a pastoral model of government is about maintaining the standards and the norms that are already in a region. Tell me what the standards are in your region. Tell me what the norms are in your region. Instead of, God, what are your standards? What are your norms? A pastoral model is not very concerned about moving forward, but it's more about digging its heels in and protecting what is. What is currently there and in an effort to protect what is, it will fight against what will be. Do you understand? It's not interested in advancing the kingdom. It's not concerned about getting people equipped. It's about getting people protected, maintaining. And because of this, the byproduct is that there are underdeveloped churches. And here's the question, who is the church? So if I say there are undeveloped churches, what I'm actually saying is there's undeveloped believers. So an apostolic church, it equips or empowers and it sends people. And this apostolic leadership team that we have at Reunion, it it leads from a place as a foundation, right? The Bible says that apostles and prophets were the, the foundations of the church with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So in the kingdom, leadership is always bottom up. The leaders are actually at the bottom of the pyramid. The leaders are not at the top. And that means that if you're a leader, you have a whole lot of people standing on your shoulders, which is the point. In the kingdom, a healthy leader should be a launching pad. I should have these dotted lines that look like shoes on my shoulders to show you where to put your feet so you can stand on my shoulders. And one of the main roles is to equip you. Your job is to come to church to get equipped, not to learn, not to fellowship, not to hear a sermon, not to sing songs. song. Your, your job is to come and magnify him and then get equipped. And so what does that look like? What exactly does that mean? For us, one of the biggest ways that we equip people is to point them towards their identity. And we get the identity, we get your identity based on one thing. It's what God says about us. It's in the book. It's in his word. And we help people understand their identity based on who God says they are. Because if we don't understand who God says we are, we won't understand who he is. And we won't understand who each other are if our foundations are off. So we we base our identities on who God says we are. We never base our identities based on how we feel. We don't base our identities based on tradition. We base identity on truth. Why do we base it on the truth? Well, we've talked about this the past few weeks because once we have an encounter with truth, once you yada, once you know the truth, then the truth sets you free. Truth, when you know it, when you encounter it, have that experiential knowledge of it, it will actually set us free. And our equipped ones, you guys, and our sent ones, they need to be very secure in their identity. One of the the functions of an apostolic house is to build. Biblically, apostles are builders. Biblically, um, there's another function, it's to send. There's no room in an apostolic house for control when the goals are to equip and empower or to send because both of those run contrary to the idea of control, okay? The focus has to be raising up people who lead from identity, not their position, not their resume, not their job title. In other words, identity has to be founded in and based on knowing the truth. And it has to do with our calling, not our degrees. I love degrees, I have multiple degrees, but when I stand before him, he's not gonna say, okay, how many degrees did you get in my name? He's going to say, how well did you know me? How close were we? Were you my friend? And the point at reunion is, is focusing on and creating big people rather than creating big ministry or big organization. Church is not a business. Look at your neighbor and tell them church is not a business. Church is not a business, and and listen to me, church was never meant to run on a business model. It can run on a business model, okay? You can absolutely run a church on a business model, but it reduces church being people to church being a business then. And you've already told me that you are the church. You don't come to church, you gather as the church, you are the church. So we want to equip people in their identity. And this allows us to send people to expand the influence of the kingdom. If we are sending people out, they really need to be secure in their identity and their calling. Because we're sending them out from under us. But listen, there's a flip side to that. If we're sending people out, we need to be really secure in our identities. Because by sending, that means they're not staying with us. If we're sending healthy sons and daughters, we will send secure people and, and people, those people will know their identity, their calling, their destiny. But if we're not sending healthy sons and daughters, then we're sending insecure people. Let me rephrase that. We're sending orphans. We never want to send orphans because orphans disconnect from those who sent them. It's an orphan mindset that says, I'm all on my own now, I'm, I'm unloved, I'm not covered any longer. But a healthy son or a healthy daughter understands that just because you're living in a different zip code doesn't mean that you're no longer family, okay? It doesn't mean that you're no longer covered. A healthy covering and a healthy connection has nothing to do with your zip code. In other words, when I moved from my, the land of my roots, the East Coast, the best coast, okay? When I moved 5,500 miles away to Hawaii, I didn't have to worry that I wasn't going to be my parents' son any longer. Because I lived a certain distance away, because my zip code changed. My place in family was never threatened by my, by my physical proximity. My place in family was permanent. And any time I go back, it's not that I have to re-earn being a son. I'm already a son. None of that changes. When I was sent out by my parents, my, my identity remained the same. And we... Sorry, let me rephrase that. If we, as an apostolic house, are not secure in our identity and our calling and what God is asking us to do, then we're going to try to tend to keep people at any cost. Right? Because we're afraid of losing what we have instead of expanding the kingdom of God. We're afraid of losing who's in our zip code instead of sending people to their destiny. If our goal is to build a a big organization, then, then sending people means losing people and we're not gonna be very interested in doing that. But we have to understand that the kingdom model runs opposite of the business model and you are the church. And you actually have a call and we have a call. We have a responsibility to send people in our house into their destiny whether that's staying here or whether that's going elsewhere. This is why it's so critical for us as leaders to understand and to know what God is saying about the people within our circles. Um, If his call is for them to to stay and, and plant here forever, then everything that we do needs to be towards that end for that person. But if he's calling them away because they they, they need to go somewhere else and be equipped and and influence those other places for the kingdom of God, then everything that we do has to be towards that end. Do you understand? Do Do you see how none of this is actually about us? Even if it hurts. How many of you know that it would be far easier to want to groom and grow people that never leave? Man, that would be great. But at some point, for some people, keeping them actually damages our destiny, keeping them actually damages their destiny. It it competes with God's call on their life. And we can't be willing to do that. The kingdom, it it runs on family. It's always about relationship. In an apostolic model, it's, it's always led by fathers and mothers, if it's healthy. When I became, I've, you've probably heard me say this before, but when I became a member at reunion at this house, I I didn't become a covenant member to our denomination and its beliefs. I hadn't even heard of our denomination when I first came to reunion. I didn't become a covenant member and covenant with a denomination, a checklist of beliefs. I became a covenant member because of my pastor Gary I chose to unite with him and I chose to unite with you all because that's where the Lord says to plant yourself it was a church family that I covenanted with not a checklist of beliefs where we all agreed upon them and that made us family no I covenanted with people not policy and we have to understand, you know, we had a new members week last, last week. I think we had nine new members. What a, what a joy. What uh, Welcome new members. I know you guys have been here for a while. We, what a joy to see people take a relational covenant and say, like, this is my family. You're my family, and I'm your family. And I don't care if you, you know, get on a plane tomorrow and you plant your feet somewhere else. That doesn't change family. Healthy Kingdom leaders are fathers and mothers, and all good fathers and mothers want their kids to go further, to be better, to have greater exploits, to see things that they never saw, to have greater anointings than they ever had. It's a selfless heart, and it, what happens is when you can create that environment, it creates a culture of freedom. When we know that freedom actually attracts revelation, and revelation cultivates maturity. We want mature believers, which means freedom is non-negotiable. You guys ever hear that saying that um, everyone wants the new car smell, but very few are willing to make the new car payments. Yeah. Most people don't want change. They just want the outcome of change. And You know, it's moments like this where we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to pay the cost to see his kingdom come and his will be done? Because it's easy when everything's going great and, um, you know, your life is just perfect and you're on a smooth road. It's easy to say, like, you have my yes forever, Lord. But how many of you know that he'll test your yes? You can't give him just one big yes and then that's it. It's like marriage. You can't just have a big yes on your wedding day and that's it. He's going to test that, yes, to see if you still actually mean it. And if we're willing to actually pay the price to see his kingdom come and his will being done, that a big part of that means investing into the church. Who is the church? Right, it, you is the church. That means a big part of that is investing into people. Into people. It means raising them up. It means fathering them. It means mothering them. It also means sending people to places that the Lord is calling them. And this is... This is where the rubber hits the road. It's easy to pour into those who will always be with you. Uh, It's a little more difficult to pour into those who won't. It's, it's, It's a greater cost to pour into those and give everything you have to those who won't be here forever. And it's this reality that seeing gold in people is actually really easy. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, which all believers do, um, he's a gold finder. He will find the gold in people. He will tell you about that. Seeing the gold as people and easy, but calling the gold out of people is tougher, especially if their gold is 1,000 miles away from where you live. Especially if their gold is 5,000 miles away from where you live. Are you still willing to invest if their pot of gold is over there, so to speak? For some reason calling the gold out of people gets a little bit more difficult when their destiny is in a different zip code than you. And this is the ultimate cost of investing. Uh, investing by definition is taking something that's yours and planting it in a new place. How do you invest in the stock market? Do you just keep your money in your bank account? No, you take what's yours. You take your money and you put it somewhere new with a chance to grow. That's called investment. And in the kingdom, investment is always people. Being willing to invest in people means often giving your life, your time, your energy, your love to those who won't be around for you to see their fruit. We all want to see a return on investment, right? When you invest, the goal is that you get a return and then some. That's a kingdom principle. The talents, the miners, right? At a minimum, the the landowner told those servants, at a minimum, you should have just put it in a bank and get me some, um, whatchamacallit? Thank you, interest. We all want to see a return on interest. But again, the kingdom is upside down. We often won't see the physical fruit from somebody, but we have to understand that seeds planted in the spiritual remain. Things planted in the spiritual remain. And the test is whether I trust him to return on my investment in the spiritual, which is the greater reality. In other words, the test is if you pour into somebody for years and God calls them elsewhere... You have to be okay in saying, God, not my will be done, but yours. That's the best, that's the best way to invest into people. Listen, listen carefully. You are not my sheep. You're his sheep. You're not my church. You're his church. My job is to steward his kids. My job is to, steward, is to shepherd his flock, his flock. It's it's often sad to send beloved family out, and that's hard. But listen, um, my emotions can't replace obedience. No matter how bad you want something, emotions can't replace obedience. And my deep love and affection does not have permission to override God's plan for their life. If my primary fear is losing someone, then I've idolized my plans. And if my primary fear is losing someone, then I've idolized my agenda in wanting to keep them. Do you know how painful that prayer has been that we've been praying? We say, God, take whatever you want. Shake whatever you want. Purify whatever you want. And I think some of us have found uh, that he doesn't just take the bad things that need to go. Some things just need to leave, not because they're bad, but because they're supposed to be sent out. And it actually is purifying to them and to you to obey that call to send In other words, God will often take things out of an incubation period somewhere so that they can go be planted somewhere else and thrive. I told this to our students at Kingdom Living this year. I said, I won't be judged for how you steward being poured into. I'm not responsible for how you steward that that pouring into you. I'm just going to be judged whether I pour into you some of the hardest moments are when God puts people in our lives and tells us that they're not going to be there for the rest of your life. And the test is, am I willing to pour into someone when I have limited time with them in the same way that I'm willing to pour into people who are going to be in my zip code forever? If the zip code is different, do I still want those people to go further and do greater things and have greater anointings and to see more than I've ever seen when it involves leaving. In the kingdom, uh, leaders are not called to be bosses. They're not called to be managers. They're called to be fathers and mothers. And when I look around the room, I know that there's a lot of faces in this room who are going to be here forever. This is where the Lord has put you. This is where he's planted you. Um, In 30 years, you're still going to be involved with what God is doing in this generation in Hawaii. And I I just see a lot of you being big parts of this house forever, and that's a beautiful thing. But also, there are some here who are for a season. And that's just the reality of life. Um, But I don't have the luxury of standing before the Lord and telling Him, I only invested in those that benefited me. I only invested into those who I would get a 30, 50 year return on. Because suddenly that makes it not a move of God, that makes it a move of Sam. And that makes me the star of the show and it makes Reunion the star of the show. And we have to keep remembering that we're called to invest in his kids, into his church, into his bride, and to shepherd his sheep. And so today is a very bittersweet day. Um, we have um, two Rachels leaving. We'll be sending Rachel Morley away in a few weeks. Um, But today we're going to be sending away Rachel P., Rachel Provost. Uh, Rachel is someone who's impacted a lot of people sitting in this room. A lot of people have um, grown in, in amazing ways because Rachel Provost has been in their life. Including myself and I've, I've learned to see the Lord better because of Rachel P in my life and um, some of you probably know this but Rachel provost moved out here um, as a third year BSSM student to serve me and to intern for me for nine months and over those nine months she sat on my couch a whole lot we, we dreamed a lot she asked a lot of questions she cried a lot usually crying right it's the cry couch. Um, and now she's moved into being leadership at our full-time school. Uh, she's served as a personal assistant to me, and she's invested in so many people, so many staff, so many students, so many reunionites. Um, we're a better place because of Rachel P. We're better people because of Rachel P. You know, Rachel has become a, a daughter of this house. She's become a daughter to me. Um, she came out again as a a third year intern to serve me into kingdom living, but today she leaves his family. Um, she's irreplaceable, but she's meant to be sent. And it, you know, emotionally there, there is sadness attached to it. But I also know that the Lord is asking her to step into a different zip code, into a different geographical area. Um, Rachel's gonna be moving to Idaho and uh, just following the obedience of the Lord. And I know that um, this is probably very difficult for you, Rach, uh, but you know we've walked with you. We we feel like this, this is the Lord asking you to go and you're in the Lord's hands. So, um, I want to just ask Rach, if you want to come up and if we can have some of our staff, if you want to come, we're going to just bless Rachel and send her off. Um, this isn't a goodbye for us. What this is, um, this is us saying, let us, let us send you one step closer to your calling. Let us send you one step closer to your destiny. Just come on up front here. So Rachel has um, become family and just um, impacted so many of us, even up here on stage, just our lives are forever changed and different. And so we're, we're grateful to be able to send her into her calling, into her destiny where the Lord is asking, um, knowing that none of that impacts covering, none of that impacts family, none of that impacts um, spiritual proximity. Okay, so will you all, I, I would love you all to stand up. I want to honor Rachel. And we're just going to send her out as a house. You can stretch your hands out. We're just going to bless her. If you guys want to gather around. Yeah. Thank you, God. God, we declare you're perfect. You're perfect in Rachel's life. You're perfect on Rachel's life. You're perfect in your calling with her life. And we choose to stand with you and just say yes and amen. Yes and amen to the destiny, to the places you're going to bring her, to the callings you're having her step into. We even blessed the zip code where her plane is landing. That people there would be impacted 10 times as much as we're impacted here because she's just growing. She's just gaining um, Authority. She's, she's gaining the, that trust of the Lord more and more. And I just feel like everywhere that you go, Rach, you're going to um, have golden footsteps. So, Lord, increase what you've done in her life. Bring to fruition the plans that you have for her, the joy that you've set before her. Thank you for the time that we've had in the same zip code together. And, and we just declare that you're righteous, you're perfect, Jesus. Thank you for this season. Thank you for next season. Thank you for seasons to come. And we just celebrate and send and commission Rachel um, into your hands, into following um, your path that you've asked her to step into and know that this is, um, this is right. This is your will. This is your heart. And so we just stand as a family and say, um, you're not going anywhere in our hearts um, yeah, you're you're actually closer than ever, and we just we rejoice in um, the memories that we've got to make and the memories that are to come. So we bless you and send you as a house in Jesus' name, Amen. I talked a little bit about this last week, and I'm not going to, um, I don't have much more for tonight. I do want to hit a couple of things before we um, next week start getting back into a lot of vision, a lot of things that the Lord is asking us as a house. But I mentioned this last week that I just feel like I'm carrying such a beautiful burden from the Lord. And for the past, um, I would say a few weeks, but it's been more than a few weeks I've been burdened by the Lord to press into greater things. And, you know, we spent a month as a house, as a family, fasting and praying for the greater things. I've been asking the Lord for greater measures of wisdom, of direction, of vision, and asking him who we're becoming, right? Because in the same way that Kenisha is not yet fully Kenisha. On an individual level reunion corporately is not yet fully reunion the more that all of us individually step into our destinies and our callings the more we as a house will step into our corporate destiny and calling and i've just been asking the lord you know there's a lot of people right now who are asking the lord hey show me the next steps of my life and I don't know about you guys, but very rarely does the Lord lay out the next 10 steps. He'll give me half of the first step I need to make usually, and then when my foot's in the air taking it, he'll show me that first step. Um, so I'm not necessarily saying, Lord, show me the ten next 10 steps of where we're going as a house, as a family. Um, but I know we talked a lot about this last year, asking for God targets and and vision for the future. If we can at least see the horizon where we're headed, it makes it a lot easier to point the ship in the right direction. And I think that steering a a gathering of believers with the church, right? I think that steering a gathering of believers is not what most people think it is. I think that steering an organization towards the destiny and a horizon, that's easy. You can figure out with business models where an organization goes. But the problem if you think church is an organization is that there's an end goal. And once you hit that end goal, you think that you've arrived. That, you know, we've made it. We've reached the destination. And now we can just live here. We can plant and not have anything else to to pursue. But steering the church is steering people. And steering people is different. It's, It's not picking a spot on the horizon and aiming for that and hoping for it and hitting that target. I think that's part of it. But steering a church it has much more to do with steering people into identity than getting them somewhere. Your identity is, is the critical factor, not the point on the horizon. Now, will he bring points on the horizon the more we step into our, our identity? Absolutely. But listen, the things that we're dreaming of aren't things, it's a person. The one thing that we're pursuing isn't a building. It isn't comfier seats. It isn't, you know, smoke machines and laser shows. It's depth of intimacy with one person, with, with the man Jesus Christ, okay? Certain things have just been... Uh, I'm gonna use this word at the risk of someone saying I use it in the wrong way, but I don't care. I'm just too emotional today. (laughs) I'm just gonna say it all. These things have just been haunting me in the best way. Like I can't get rid of them. I can't move these thoughts out of my head. I've been thinking about different people throughout church history. People and, and times in history when heaven seems just a little bit closer. You know what I'm talking about. Moves of a God. Generals of the faith. And uh, I've been reading a whole lot of biographies and autobiographies by these people that I just, that the, Lord, the Lord's hand was upon and that he used as a model and a demonstration to mankind. People like Catherine Coleman and Oral Roberts and A.A. Allen and Benny Hinn and Bill Johnson and Randy Clark and John G. Lay. Go down the list all the way to biblical history I mean, last week we spent most of the the week talking about Samuel and Saul, and next week we're probably going to talk about David and Saul. But just thinking about these men and women of God throughout church history, I was trying to identify why it's so moving, like why this is haunting me, why I'm just so... My heart catches on fire when I read these books and I hear them talking about different, the ways that they encounter the Lord and the things that are on their minds. And what I figured out is I'm so stirred by their awareness of God. I want to have that awareness. I'm so moved by their singular eye for the Lord that nothing distracts them, nothing on the left, nothing on the right. And I just began to think and I want to ask you guys this question. Listen. If there were gasoline available to make your car drive a hundred times further, would you want it? Yeah. And if there was a mattress that existed that made your sleep a hundred times better, would you want it? Oh my gosh, yes. And if there was food available that tasted a hundred times better, would you want to eat it? Here's the question. If, if an anointing existed that brought the kingdom in measures a hundred times greater than it is, would you want it? Yeah. I love hearing about God's generals, these generals of the faith who, who the hand of the Lord was just upon and everyone who came into contact with them was impacted by the Lord. And I was listening to some things on podcasts and online about people just telling stories from these people, um, things that happened in their public life, but also private things that they didn't tell too many people about. And I got a little frustrated, and I just began to think, like, I'm so tired of people thinking that Catherine Coleman is a target for us to hit. She's not. She's she's the shoulders that our generation is supposed to stand on, but she's not who we're emulating. We're pursuing Jesus. Okay? I, I love Billy Graham. But we have to stop looking at at Billy Graham as a target that we're trying to be like. We're not trying to be like Billy Graham. We're trying to stand on Billy Graham's shoulders. He opened doors and laid trails for us to walk down. Not so that we would be like him, but so that we would be like Jesus Christ. And I just began thinking about all these people that um, we never put them on these pedestals and, and idolize them. But it's amazing to hear what the Lord did in their lives. But how can we look at them and think that any of them are the goal? If that's what we think, then we're looking at them with wrong perspective. They're not the goal, but we can't ignore them. Okay. I think that God sent people like William Branham and John G. Lake and Wigglesworth and all that, like go down the list. I think he put those people in history to show us a standard. And if he sent them in the past, if he sent them to show us a standard in the past, why do we feel like we need to go back and recreate that? I don't know if this makes sense, please don't try to find a verse, you won't find it, but I think Smith Wigglesworth is my spirit animal. I love that guy. That guy, oh, he's a champion in my mind. But I don't want his ministry. I wanna stand on the shoulders of his ministry. I wanna do greater things than he did. I wanna uh, go places that he never went, but I don't wanna be him. the last generation has to be the starting point for this generation. But here's the thing, it's not their choice. They're not responsible for how we steward being poured into, they're just responsible for pouring into us. It's our job to choose to stand on their shoulders. We can choose to try to emulate them, we can choose to use them as targets, or we can just stand on their shoulders and that's the starting point. We have to have a different starting point, I think. I think that God gave us Past heroes and past moves of God as examples and foundations, not as targets. Well, why am I talking about this? Because he is taking us as a family. He's taking us places and raising people up in this house that are going to operate in incredible supernatural levels. And it's going to take a whole lot of wisdom and discernment to not fall in the trap of being impressed by gifts. It's gonna take a whole lot of discernment. It's gonna take a whole lot of wisdom to only be impressed by the giver. God has been very clear. I, I talked to you all about this about a year ago, that in this house, in reunion, look around the room. You might need to go look in the kids' church room, but he said he's raising up the next Catherine Kuhlman and he's raising up the next John G. Lake. And then he got biblical and he said, I'm raising up David's in this house and I'm raising up Joshua's in this house. And listen, if we're called to raise them up, we need to know how to raise those kids up. We need to know how to invest in generals, not aim at generals. This isn't wishful thinking. And I know some of you are like, where's your Bible? Listen, we'll get to the Bible. I promise. We're... we're the Bible is the best book ever created. We live and breathe with the Bible. But listen, tonight's a little different. And we're on a journey from Dillard's to Macy's. We've talked about this analogy. I feel like we're walking from one end to the mall to the other, and we want to go together. We don't want everyone just to go at their own pace and run off to this store and that store. We're going to go together. We're going to go as a family. And the Lord has been saying to me that we, as we go... And as we step more and more into these supernatural things, and again, we have the wonderful blessing of seeing a lot of those things, but there's more coming. As we go on this journey from Diller's to Macy's, the temptation is going to be to set up idols instead of setting up stones of remembrance. What's the difference between stones of remembrance and idols? Well, well, you worship one of them. And the other one points you to worship the Lamb. So let me give you an example about how we need to be careful about not setting up idols. We've been praying to own our own facilities. And I said this to you before, we love C4. We're not going anywhere. Get used to being at C4. C4 is one of the greatest blessings to ever happen to Reunion Church. But I also know that the Lord is putting owning facilities on our heart. We're aching for facilities and with facilities come a Sunday morning service, but we cannot make facilities or a service time an idol in our lives. It's easy for us to say like we, we need morning services. You guys probably don't know this, but I know this cause I get the phone calls and I get the emails that so many people want to come to reunion, but they can't cause it's a night service. It's very hard for families. And, and that makes a lot of sense. Like if you have kids, to bring them home, get them bathed, get them food, and then get to bed, and then mon- Monday being a school day. Sunday nights are hard, and lots of people can't come because of that. It would be easier to have Monday or sun- Sunday, morning, Sunday morning service. Next week we'll talk a little bit more about this, but there's a principality, and there's a power on this island, and it's not a good one where fear makes people reject anything that doesn't fit inside their box, right? And I've heard this, people say in night service, you can't be a real church. Real churches meet on Sunday mornings. Real preachers stand up when they preach, whatever. (laughs) I've heard that one. Listen, listen carefully. Making an idol out of the time of day that we gather as the church is foolish. You're already the church. You're already the church thinking that the time of day is the key to revival is foolish thinking that the time of day that the church gathers is the key to breakthrough foolishness i have a friend who was the worship leader at the toronto blessing the toronto revival uh, a movement that influenced the world probably like probably like nothing else In the past 100 years other than like azusa street where millions and millions of people have tasted the fruit of this revival and it started out in a little old church in a little old meeting with little old randy clark talking to 120 people and a literal people love the word revival we need to be careful about that word but a literal revival happened and this explosion erupted And thousands upon thousands of people would show up every single day at this little airport church in Toronto and stand outside for hours. They would get in line in the morning hours waiting for the night service to begin and the lines would go down the street. And my friend said for eight years, eight years, they met six nights a week and had Sunday services with thousands of people standing in line every day just waiting to get in and encounter the Lord. And I just need to highlight something to you because I rushed past this and the Lord said, back your thought up. You need to rethink this. You need to repent. He said, Sam, they start, they had service six weeknights per week and a Sunday morning service. Think about that. We're like, oh, Sunday nights, that's so hard. Well, they had Monday night and then they had Tuesday night. I'm gonna name all the weekdays for you in case you don't know. Then they had Wednesday night, and then they had Thursday night, and then they had Friday night. And then they were like, that's not enough. Let's go into weekend, Saturday night service. And then they gathered on Sunday for church. And all of those weeknights, they gathered at the same time that we gather. Isn't that crazy? I wanna tell you something. I'm all about Monday through Saturday night services, 6.30 6.30 to 2 a.m. Like, let's go. I love it. I want a house where ministry to the Lord never ends. And if it means six nights plus a Sunday morning, I'm in. Sign me up. Show me the lease. My point is simply this, that the timing of our service has nothing to do with it. It's the quality of our hunger, hunger that has everything to do with it. Are you hungry? Because you'll have him. He responds to hunger. Come to me, all who are right? It says weary, thirsty, hungry, like come to me, eat free of charge, drink free of charge. Listen, hungry people show up. And when God is present, the hungry ones put the norms of their culture aside and gather around him. Imagine if John Arnott in the Toronto uh, church, people refused to have weeknight services because morning services are way easier for families. Like I get it. I'm that breaks my heart that there are families who cannot come to Reunion Church. But the time of day can't change my level of hunger. I'm not discounting those things, but, but if people are really coming for one thing, if they're really coming just for the spotless lamb, then is the inconvenience of our service time really going to prevent you from coming? Revival history... I mean, biblical history, but I'll just use church history has shown us that the time of day is meaningless to those who are madly in love with the lamb. I had a conversation this week um, with Leah. We were out on a walk or maybe it was last week, and I'm just going to expand on it. Basically, here's here's the bottom line that we arrived at is that atheism is dead. Atheism is dead. Um, Hollywood, department stores, movies, secular society are openly into spiritualism and the supernatural. It's no longer about, you know, God is dead. It's like blatant Satan worship, okay? You know, um, Target didn't hire an atheist to make a bunch of shirts that says God is fake. No, they hired a Satanist to put all these messages about like, let's worship Satan and like on kids' shirts, you know, like these crazy things. Atheism is actually dead. The only place that it exists are in universities and seminaries, quite honestly. <laughs> I think I'm joking. I'm gonna go there. I've been reading a couple of really good books um, they would use the term that they would call themselves exorcists, but in our circles, we would just say they're believers and they cast out demons. Like Jesus said to do that. Um, But one of the things that just so like, it wrecks my heart is how even among the exorcists in that group, and this was like a long time ago, how few of them actually believed in God. That's wild. Like what your whole job is believing in God and the devil. And yet so many of them didn't believe in either, and it was just something that they did. Um, We have some friends who, uh, this was quite a few years back, and um, I'm only allowed to share the story, not their names, but we have some friends who got invited to an after party of one of the biggest award shows on the planet. So think about all the award shows that happened in Hollywood, and they got invited to the after party. Well, the reason why. And these are believers. These are on fire Christians, love the Lord. The reason why they got invited to the after party wasn't because they were believers. The reason they got invited is because atheism is dead. And at all these after parties, like this has been going on for years, all these Hollywood types, these, you know, actors, musicians, they bring in palm readers and witches and spiritual guides and put them at a table at a party. And they tell all these celebrities their future and like speak into their lives. Well, they, the person who runs all these after parties for these huge events um, got saved and knew our friends, and they invited our friends and said, hey, we actually, one of our jobs is to put, um, what do you call it, people who read the future in these parties. And she said, I, I don't believe in that anymore. I mean, I know that the demonic exists, but I'd rather put believers in there to prophesy and actually tell them their future, like what the Lord says about their future. So they brought in our friends and um, put them in this table. And it was, you know, all the, this wasn't like C-list celebrities. This was A-list at the, one of the biggest award shows. And they put them at this table and it's the who's who of Hollywood, the rappers, the actors, the you know, football players, everybody's there. And um, they sat them in the back and they said, hey, these guys will tell you your future. And so they sat down, and this wasn't like, hey, let's go into covert Christianity and mask our language. They started telling people how much Jesus loves them and how he's going to redeem their lives. You know, like, we're so afraid of offending people for Jesus. We were just talking about all these, the the disciples, how they were martyred. I'll let Leah preach about that some other time. But, like, we have to get past this idea that, like, we don't want to offend people with Jesus. Oh, no, you do. It's literally the offense of the cross that leads to salvation. It's the power of salvation. So they're sitting there prophesying over these people, telling them about Jesus. And all these big name, you know, they, they said there was a, a few rappers and actors um, who called all their posse and said, like, hey, bring the boys down here to the party. This, this dude's, like, telling me my future, and, like, I'm filled with hope and all this stuff. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you that just to tell you that the battle that Christianity is facing isn't that God isn't real, right? I used to think, and, and this was just me being a naive kid, I used to think that it was only 50 years ago or 100 years ago when people didn't know that let's say healing was possible at every church on the block. I just thought, well, everyone knows that it's available today. It must have just been like a 100 years ago that they didn't believe that. Or that, you know, raising the dead or casting out demons or or setting people free or releasing um, slaves from bondage, like that was actually for all of us to operate in. I just thought that was common knowledge. And I was under the impression that everybody came to gather as the church with high expectancy of what the Lord was going to do. And it shocked me that things that Jesus specifically didn't ask us to consider doing, but he specifically commanded us to do, the healing, the raising, the casting, the things that he specifically said, do these because I did them, are virtually unheard of in so many believers' experiences and circles. It's no wonder that the world is demanding a power display and they're turning to sources outside of the church to find it. The world is demanding a power display and a large percentage of the church doesn't know what to do about that. Uh, Many years ago, I I don't remember if it was a dream or a vision, but I had this encounter with the Lord and he said, um, if a demon-possessed person walked into half of the church's that exists right now, and he picked a fight, the demon-possessed person would win. And I mean, when the Lord tells you something, you believe him, but I was in disbelief because I was like, no way, like, surely every believer knows how to cast out a demon. At this point, it's, you know, the year 2000. Um, We can put a man on the moon. We should be able to cast out a demon. Uh, But the older I get, the more I realize what what a true thought that is. And this is one of the reasons why we do things like Kingdom Living, our Supernatural Ministry School, or Oahu School of Worship. That's coming up. Um, We have these equipping environments to get believers to look, to think, and to act just like Jesus. To do the things he literally said, you have to do these things. This isn't optional. If you want to see my kingdom come, you, the church, have to walk in these things. We want our people to minister like him, and we want our people to minister with him. And listen, I'm not digging on other churches. My heart is the bride. My heart is for not just this church, but the corporate church. I love the church. But it's hard for me to, to fathom that so many churches aren't prepping and equipping their people for spiritual battles. We're great at natural battles. Like, you know, walk into a room and have a peppy attitude. That's not being Christ-like. Fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago, I had a dream when we were at this. Um, we were serving at a church in Florida, and um, in my dream, it was kind of a two-level building with a bunch of seats downstairs, and then just kind of the outside ring was the balcony, and I was seated down here. The stage was up here, and uh, we were in a worship set, and all of a sudden, the back doors just got kicked open, and this, you know, beam of light comes in, and the like it's like glory and smoke and all these things just come in this room and we're expecting to see the risen king, you know, like eyes of fire and hair like wool, voice like waters. But it wasn't, it wasn't that form that walked in. What walked in was this lamb, this sheep. And it walks in and of course, like it interrupts the service, everything stops, everyone's staring at this, everyone's looking at this sheep our mouths are gaping, and it starts slowly walking to the front, and people start, like, in their confusion, it wasn't wasn't anger, it wasn't frustration because they got interrupted, it was literally their anger bubbled over, sorry, their confusion bubbled over, and they started losing their minds out of confusion. They couldn't understand, like, what is happening? Why did the door kick open, the sheep comes in? And this sheep comes in, and he's got this regal crown hovering over his head. It was in the spirit, but everyone could see it. And it walked straight up to the front, and then it stopped. And the room just fell silent in disbelief and surprise. And I I came out of that dream or that vision, and I asked the Lord, what was that? Because I felt the Lord. I was, like, trembling and crying. I had this massive encounter. I was, what was that, God? And I'll never forget this. He said, if you are surprised... When something as natural as a sheep, like a physical animal. If you're as surprised when a natural sheep walks in, how much more unprepared for when I walk in? And listen to me closely. He's taking us places that are going to make our jaws drop. And, you know, I just thinking even, you know, a few weeks ago when people were getting healed left and right during a sermon on tithing bodies were getting healed and people got saved those nights and people think, oh, tithing, that's not spiritual. It's it's so spiritual. And that same night, there were people with gold dust on their hands. And if that's weird for you, I don't know what to tell you. We didn't ask for it. He just does stuff like that. But when I was thinking about that with the Lord, he just said, those things won't even compare. They won't even be made mention in the same conversation for what I'm going to be doing. And we need to lose this idea that Shock and awe um, are disruptive, right? Think about the gospels. People say like, I need like uninterrupted time with the Lord, and yes, absolutely, that's true. But we think that interruption is the enemy. Do you know how many gospel stories only exist because of interruption? Jesus walking around and it says someone came and grabbed him, someone interrupted, someone pushed through the crowd, screaming out, you know, son of man, have mercy on me. His whole life, if you want to look at it this way, was a distraction. And yet it's like some of the most beloved stories that exist. We got to get past this idea that distraction is the enemy because he's going to walk in and if we're not careful, we'll let that distraction, we'll let that become confusion and we'll miss the the lamb. We have to have high expectancies for what he's doing. We have to ask for greater levels of faith. You don't create faith. You don't build your own faith. You ask for faith. It's a spiritual gift. And so here we are walking from Dillard's to Macy's on the spiritual walk and listen, supernaturally ministering to the Lord is the only way forward. Also supernaturally ministering to the world is the only way forward. The battle that Christianity is facing is not intellectually proving God is real. It's not apologetics. Um, the battle that Christianity is facing is whose God is stronger. And we know who holds all power and authority, it's him. And we know who he's given and delegated all power and authority to. It's us. And I think that we're, we're as a generation staring this Elijah on Mount Car- Carmel moment in the face. And maybe we'll talk about that some other time, but that's one of the funniest stories in the book, in the bu- in the Bible where Elijah says, like, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. You know, like, keep trying, keep cutting yourselves, keep, you know, pour more water on it, like, whatever. And then the power of God makes it very clear who God is. That's what we're looking at. Listen, atheism isn't a threat. Christians without power is a threat. And so the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be talking about where the Lord is leading us. We're gonna be talking about powers and principalities and strongholds. We just don't have that kind of time tonight. Um, There will be more teaching. There will will be more... um, diving deep into scripture but I felt like I wanted to take tonight not just to honor Rachel but I think these are nights that we get to see the heart of this house that this isn't just about um hey let's build a really big event on Sunday nights this is about really big people and um you know like Rachel being one of the biggest people that I know um she's such a beautiful example of what it looks like to surrender our hearts and our lives to the Lord and and to give him a yes at any cost and that's where we're going as a house um Everybody over the past, let's say, two months as I've, as I've brought up that topic of a costly yes or a yes at any cost, most of the room says amen when there actually isn't a cost yet on your yes. And that's good. You want that to be your starting point. You want that to be your launching pad. But he, he, he will test that yes. And that's not a threat. That's him saying, let me refine you as gold. Let me prove you're right. Will you guys stand with me? Uh, I want to close, and then we're going to move into ministry time. Oh, Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful that you have promised us the kingdom, that you've promised us yourself. There's nothing better than you. You're more valuable than gold, and we say welcome here. Have everything you want. Take my life. Start to finish. You're the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. This house is your house, and as we said last week, this is a new season. It's not that we're entering in it. No, we've already entered into it, and we're taking great steps of faith. Would you show yourself strong as counselor? Would you show yourself strong as comforter? Would you show yourself strong as savior? Would you show yourself strong as master? Would you show yourself faithful as friend? And so simply tonight, the prayer is more of you, God, more of you. Have your way in our lives, have your way in our households, have your way in this house, in this family. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on Oahu as it is in heaven. That's not a slogan. That's our prayer. That's the cry of our heart. It's the cry of your heart, God, and we're saying yes, amen to that prayer. I feel like just for five seconds, hold your hands out and just, you can do it quietly, but just ask the Lord for his righteousness. Because he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So kingdom come, righteousness come right now. You're the righteous one. Would your righteousness just flow? We worship you. We, we glorify your name, Jesus. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. And in just a minute, we're going to have prayer ministry for anybody who wants to um, have any of our our trained prayer ministry team come up and pray for them, pray with them. Um, I also feel like there's probably one or two in here who who don't know the Lord as Lord and Savior. You don't know Jesus, and you need to make him your Lord and Savior tonight. If that's you, um, when we have prayer ministry time, please come up. Don't let this minute pass. So we wait on you, God. We say thank you. We glorify you, you're you're the the majestic glory, as the Bible says, and we we magnify that name, your majesty and your glorious. Thank you for this house, thank you for these individuals, thank you for the history that's behind us, and thank you for the future that's ahead of us, and we step into it with great joy and expectancy with what you're going to do, and we welcome you with a yes at any cost. We bless your name, Jesus, amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.